and welcome to the Pack Heavy podcast. Now this podcast is for anyone who works in the hospitality and food manufacturing industries who use flexible packaging to get their products to market. Featuring interviews with guests who have traveled the path that you're on so that you can learn from their successes and failures and engage in the mindset required to go all in on your vision. I call this mindset the Pack Heavy mentality and it's primarily driven by deliberate action and extreme organization. You gather market intelligence, put a strong plan in place, organize the appropriate resources, and then confidently test your hypothesis against reality. So if you're ready to pack heavy on your vision, you're in the right place, and I'm excited to have you here. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to episode 36, where today I'm joined by Jackie Ip, who is a certified financial planner at Ocean 6 Wealth Advisory. Uh, Before we do get started with the show, though, I did want to briefly touch on Foodpack, which is the company that I proudly work for in Vancouver, BC. Now, at Foodpack, there are some things that we definitely specialize in and do extremely well, uh, one of which is flexible packaging, and the other is the packaging equipment to support that flexible packaging. So if you've got a small to medium-sized business or even a large-sized business and you're looking to package up your food product in a flexible pouch or a lay-flat pouch, you need to get in touch with me and have a chat. Um, There's so much that I can do for you, whether it is offering our warehousing program to you to free up some working capital so that you can keep on pushing your business in other areas uh, or whether it is actually moving into a flexible pouch and into a stand-up pouch for the first time that's you know fully customized and printed um, flexible packaging is such a great opportunity to get your product out onto the retail shelf and we've said it quite a few times but you know the first interaction with that a lot of your consumers will have with your brand is on the retail shelf. So it's something that you want to get right. So I like to spend a good 45 minutes having a chat with my clients about what it is exactly that they're looking for, the type of pouch that they're looking to get their product in, how they want the consumer to interact with it, and uh, and you know ensuring that all of the basic fundamentals of functionality are built into the package as well. When it comes to packaging equipment, there's a lot to the conversation as well. And, um, you know, we're fortunate at Food Pack in that we've got a showroom floor packed full of equipment that we can offer to you. You're more than welcome to come on into the showroom with your food-based product and, uh, and actually try some of the equipment that we've got on the showroom floor. It's a really great way to, you know, think the production side of your business through and uh, ensure that the piece of equipment that you're about to invest in is actually functional within your business and it's going to actually achieve the output numbers that you're looking to um, to get out into the world. So if you'd like to learn a little bit more about how I can help you over here, so whether we're talking about a thermoformer or a tray sealer or a vacuum chamber machine or a band sealer, you need to get in touch with me and have a chat. Uh, please reach out at Hayden at thepackofyourpodcast.com. You could DM me on LinkedIn, or you can also get in touch with me by giving me a call on my work cell, which is 604-360-6790. Okay, so Jackie Ip is a certified financial planner at Ocean 6 Wealth Advisory located in Vancouver, BC. Jackie and the team specialize in helping business owners and entrepreneurs get clarity and confidence in their financial future by creating financial plans that fast forward their financial journey so that they can start enjoying their ideal life today instead of at age 65. Jackie and I cover so much ground during this conversation, including when someone should consider incorporating their business idea. We had a good look at entity structures such as sole proprietorship versus a corporation. Uh, We cover some critical questions to ask a financial advisor and the information that you should come prepared with. I really enjoyed this chat. Um, Jackie is such a wealth of knowledge and I hope you get as much from it as I did. Jackie, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Awesome. No, I'm definitely looking forward to today's conversation. Um, just before we kicked off, obviously, we were having a little bit of a chat about what you're exactly doing at Ocean 6. And I'm really looking forward to sort of digging into that with you through the perspective of what you do for small businesses and entrepreneurs out there, and also individuals that are looking to sort of get some financial stability within their life. Um, but before we do get stuck into all of that great stuff, where are you from? Where did you grow up? Uh, thanks for asking me. Uh, so I was actually born in Hong Kong, but raised here in uh, Richmond, BC. Mm. Uh, I, I bounced around between Vancouver and Richmond, but most of my young childhood days was definitely spent in the South uh, Richmond area. Yep. And so as you can tell, I lost a bit of my accent, but I, I do have the best of both worlds. I kept my culture and kept my Cantonese uh, in my family. Yep. And uh, I got to enjoy the childhood and the freedom of uh, wonderful Canada here in Richmond, BC. Yeah, that's cool. I live in Richmond as well. We live up in the um, pocket of Terranova. So where did you exactly grow up? What part of Richmond? Yeah, uh, so south side of it. So near Steveston, it's yep. Williams and number three uh, road. I think they call that the 
Broadmoor area. That's, yeah. that's sort of the near where the, the Chevron corridor. is. There's a Chevron. Uh, Petro. 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 Yeah, you're right. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yes. That's right. Yeah, no, <laughs> familiar. I uh, when we first came back to Canada, we were living sort of down on Williams and Freshwater, so down by go. railway. So yeah, very familiar with that part of town. I bet you it's changed a lot over the years, though. Hey. Oh, for sure. I used to actually work at that uh, KFC in that uh, plaza there. Yeah. And that whole one corner of that plaza has just completely demolished and rebuilt yeah. to this uh, low rise slash shoppers kind of situation. And it's just mm -hmm. looking a lot more slick and a lot more cleaner than when I grew up. So yeah. uh, I wish I could live back there with some sometimes. So your first job was in hospitality, was it? Uh, no, KFC uh, in yep. uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken. So yes. I, I, I was more like food, fast food. I wouldn't call that hospitality. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you're working on the front counter? Uh, no, I did uh, I did the cooks in the back. Um, and it was very specific. Like KFC has a, a strict set of rules. Like, And they try to hire the the gentlemen's, the, the men uh, in the back. Because we do, there's a lot of heavy lifting right. work the back yeah. for sure so yeah you know what there's something to be said about working in the fast food or hospitality industry from a young age like you learn skill sets that you would otherwise never really have the opportunity to be exposed to and you know i've always said i got my start at the age of 12 working for my parents in their fast food cafe outlet in a food uh mall in mm -hmm. the um in the food court in the mall sorry i should say and yeah awesome like skill sets that i've carried all the way through whether it's you know communication and, and people skills or cash handling skills just the really basic fundamentals that I recommend that everybody really needs. So yeah, when my kids get to an age where they're able to start working, I know where I'm putting them. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's, there's just a lot of hard work, like hard, yeah. honest work that you put in. Yeah. And yeah. when you do, and you earn a paycheck, you learn very quickly about how finances work as well. <laughs> when yeah. You start to see the taxes come out of your paycheck. Oh, for sure. Uh, so that's, that's also kind of the reason why I had a early upbringing on uh, just financial literacy, just seeing the first paycheck and uh, first first taxes that goes out and starting to file taxes and things like yeah. that at a young yeah, age yeah. it's completely mind-boggling <laughs> and was that something that you were just naturally drawn to or did your parents sort of influence you in that respect or did you have like a mentor from a young age that was like hey you know what this is your paycheck you're gonna have to learn how to manage this and this is what we're gonna yeah. do uh, no, I, I did not ever really have a proper mentor at that age uh, for finance specific. I had a lot of uh, peers that I looked up to. Uh, I also grew up in a church. So uh, typically the, the, the crowd that I hung out with was about five to 10 years older than me. Mm. So just looking at their lives and just kind of like observing them kind of was the, the foundation for me. Mm -hmm. And uh, the drive for me was really a uh, uh, I actually got into a bit of a car accident with my friend's car, which then my parents had to pay for and I had right. to pay them back. Yeah. <laughs> so that was one of the driving force for me to get uh, the first job to try and earn a paycheck to pay my parents back. And it just, it, it, for me, it was, it, it gave me the, I, le I learned responsibility, like mm -hmm. owning up to your mistakes, learning responsibility, learning mm -hmm. the consequences and uh, paying for those mistakes. Um, mm -hmm. and, and very quickly just found myself working part-time while juggling school wasn't a difficult thing for me, mm -hmm. uh, especially for, for me in the last year of my high school career. Uh, I've already set myself out to do BCIT uh, computer sciences. Mm -hmm. So I've already had all the grades. I did all the academic uh, classes. All of my grade 12 year, half of them was just extracurricular. I did mm -hmm. arts, I did choir, I did uh, animation. Like none of it was really... Uh, detrimental to my my grades to get into school so for me mm. grade 12 was a breeze and I ended up working half the time and going to school the other half the time so I was just kind of fortunate to do that yeah that's cool so you know with all of these extracurricular activities that you're just suggesting you know whether it was art or choir did you you know were you interested in any other occupations that you know that were catching your eye or were you always sort of leaning towards IT yeah, so computer sciences was uh, not my first choice. My first choice was 3D animation, which yeah, kind of cool. married my art skills with my uh, tech skills. Yeah. So I, I like computers, I like playing video games. That's what I did when I was in high school. And I really got into gaming and wanted to do 3D animation and build build games, build animation for the games. Mm. Um, and I had, and so I didn't have a financial mentor, but I did have a animator. Uh, uh, who was a friend of mine at the church and he has his own company. Right. So he brought me under his wings and kind of mentored me and taught me uh, off his hours uh, after school, I would just take the bus to his, his office and 
he gave me a computer and set me all up on animation. And I thought that was the route. I was going to go to school and go end up working for him. That was, yep. that was my initial path until I saw the cost of tuition for 3D animation. <laughs> and that deterred me away and said, uh oh, I'm investing quite a bit for a career that may or may not exist in Vancouver, BC. So yeah. uh, I made a quick shift to uh, computer sciences almost last minute. Like yeah. I was I was ready to sign up, I was ready to pay. And then when I saw the pay the, the tuition cost, I was just I couldn't pull the trigger. And yeah. uh, I asked myself, okay, what's another route that I could take at BCIT since I'm I'm like committed to going now to BCIT. And I uh, found computer sciences. It was a little bit more appetitable on the tuition side. It was mm -hmm. Uh, a little longer term, longer duration of time in school. Mm -hmm. uh, and I thought, uh, and then afterwards, I interviewed a few people from SFU about computer sciences. And they all, one one or two people have always told me to just like, don't go to university, just go to BCIT because that will land your job much faster. And mm. so I, I took that advice really close to heart. And I uh, ended up going to BCIT to try and get out of school as fast as possible so I can get to work as fast as possible. Get into work, yeah. So <laughs> you're, you're a qualified IT and web developer, is that correct? Uh, web application developer. So right. it's it's hard one to explain for those who are not in IT. It's it's not the pretty things, as I say, on the web that you see, yeah. but it's the it's all the work and logic that happens once you click a button. Right. When you click a button on a website, things happen in the back end. Yeah. Those magical things that happen in the back end, that's yeah. what I coded. That's what I did. Fun. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> no, not at all. No. <laughs> but I can imagine you would have learned things that you're probably still utilizing today. So, you know, talk us through that because at one point you obviously, you know, were working in the industry for quite a few years. And then I see on your resume on LinkedIn that now you're obviously a certified financial planner. So, you know, walk us through sort of those steps and, you know, how it is that you came to realize that you wanted to get into financial planning and what skills from your, um, from your IT days that you're still sort of leveraging now. Yeah, so at a very young age, I recognized that uh, I work best with collaborative groups of people. Mm. Uh, I did not do well when I was by myself, you know. So when, when I said I'm a coder, a lot of people might imagine this nerdy guy in the basement, you know, all by himself, self uh, programming all day long. Uh, that's not what I want. I hated that side of IT. I wanted the collaboration. I wanted people to work together. That's yeah. what I was always uh, more driven and, and headed down to. So all my group projects, I've done very, very well on mm. um, throughout school. And when I got into work, I also noticed that I ended up working with a lot of different department managers solving their problems. So the number one skill that I took out of computer science was really problem solving. Mm. When you have a massive abstract problem, company is not working, something is just not efficient. Well, it's very abstract. There's And there's really nothing broken per se, but it's just something that's not effective. Then how do you solve this abstract problem by cutting down into bite-sized solutions? So working towards the big problem but with little tiny steps along the way, mm -hmm. those iterations of change makes up the big picture. Mm. And I take that very closely when I think about people's finance as well. People want this great big financial retirement plan or mm -hmm. this financial freedom idea. It's abstracted and it's very, very large upfront. And a lot of people, uh, when I first work with them, they're actually, there's actually a lot of anxiety and scariness to it. They, they, mm -hmm. they get frightful of how big this problem could be. Mm -hmm. But when you work through the problem and look for little things to solve at first and just take incremental steps forward, you will get to your solution. Mm. And that is the pitch that I always tell my clients to think about not the big audacious thing up front. You have that in the back of your mind. You just know that that's your guiding star, your North star. Mm. However, you can't solve that big problem up front. You have to solve incremental problems, just like any other business. If you just try to try to tackle the big problem up front, you might get lost. You might get scared looking at the problem. But if you just remember the, 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 the way the solution is by taking the first step forward, mm. you will always 
work your way through the problem mm. and find the ultimate solution for your great big problem. So that's what I live by. And that's the skill set that I kind of took from IT. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, you know, I guess it's just like wanting to achieve a certain um, goal in the gym. You know, you're not going to just achieve it overnight. You know where you want to get to. You understand that every day that you go into the gym, you've got to hit your reps and your sets and that over time you're going to achieve the result that you want, you know, and you've also got to lock down the key fundamentals as well. You just can't go out there and start hammering straight away. So when you're looking at a big problem or somebody's, you know, financial dream that they want to achieve over say a, a, a long period of time and you're back casting it back to today and all of the small incremental bite-sized pieces that they have to achieve, whether it's a weekly goal of saving or a monthly goal of saving, or, you know, just having a budget in place to sort of even start to, you know, chip away at the debt that they've got to then be able to put money aside to then be able to invest and have it compound over time. What's your approach? Like how far out do you work with somebody? And I guess um, I'm asking that question already knowing the answer and that it depends on where they are in their life stage, you know, <laughs> but if you're talking to somebody and they're, you know, in their mid thirties, like me, for example, where do you start? Like you, cause you just suggested like a goal to get to retirement seems so far away, but there's so much work to be done for like now to get right. to that point. So where do you start? Yeah, I, I actually start with the goals. It's exactly mm. what that is. Get clear on your goals. Now, I'm not saying that you have to know like exactly every dollar and in every sense or no. exactly where you want to be five years from now. Um, but this morning, I just I was uh, I was listening to another podcast about uh, dreaming bigger and having a giant goal. As long as you have an idea of what your ideal life sort of wants to look like, then at least we have a direction of what we're trying to plan for. Yeah. A lot of clients, when they first come to me, they, they have a few common things that they would say. They were like, I want to be debt free. I want to retire. I want a million dollars in the bank account. Mm -hmm. And when I ask deeper those questions, why? Why do you want a million dollars? What would debt free mean to you? They have to have a deeper answer than just, well, because that's that's just what people want because yeah. <laughs> that's not what just people want. People, as we say in the, uh, in our <laughs> firm, business owners don't just want $10 million in their bank account. Mm -hmm. They want what that $10 million can do for them, mm -hmm. what lifestyle that they can provide, what experiences they can live. That's what they want money for. I, mm -hmm. I bet anybody who's listening, when I asked you, why did you build your business? What was the dream? What was your first intention? It's not just to have $10 million. You were trying to solve a problem. There was an impact and there was an ideal life that you were imagining yourself mm -hmm. in. That's why you sought out to go for this business venture for you. And so when we connect back our, to our big goals and why we do things, we are more deeply embedded and committed to doing the work that is necessary to get to the goals. So I always start our conversation with what is it that you're trying to achieve? What, what does, what does money mean to you? Mm -hmm. What is it that you're trying to achieve? And if you were to look back at your life, let's imagine today you were 65 years old today and you look back on your life, entire life journey, what must have happened for you to have said, this was the best life I could have lived. Mm. And when you can answer those questions and understand what, what are the most important things are into you, then we can start tackling at the problem because now we know what we're trying to solve. It's really interesting, isn't it? Like I'm a dad, I've got two beautiful children and I'm happily married. And, you know, all of those answers revolve around the kind of life and experiences that I want to provide for the kids and the kind of holidays that I want to take them on. And, you know, the life that my wife and I, you know, what we dream of. And, and a, yeah, like I suggested, a lot of it revolves around providing for the kids, you know, and um, so I found that, you know, prior to having kids, they were extremely like self-centered visions that I had, but it's, you know, since taking on fatherhood, it's very, very little of it is about me anymore. You know, if at all, it's just, I want a new pair of jeans. Like that's where I'm at, <laughs> you know, but I, I really would like to take the kids on a great holiday. So it's, it's, Right. It's sort of things have changed and things shift throughout life, don't they? So, you know, it's good to have an overarching goal, but it's, it would be really important to understand that you've got to remain flexible on it too. hundred percent. So we, we think we, nobody ever thinks life is on a straight line. Mm. Life is fluid. Life evolves. You evolve. Mm -hmm. Our family evolves. 
So when those evolve evolutions come along, that's when a financial planner really continues to play a part in your life. Yeah. I, I find that as a being a financial planner, especially on the fee for advice side, which mm. we'll get into in a second, yeah. uh, the idea of having somebody in your corner that you can call to say, hey, my life has changed. I want to know how we're prepared for the changes coming up. Mm. And here are the things that are now important to me. Mm. Uh, have you ever heard of the uh, the the five rocks analogy? The, no. the story of the five rocks. No. Um, so a professor came into class, a philosophy class, uh, one day and had a jar, a clear jar, and uh, a bag of rocks, a bag of pebbles, and a bag of sand. Mm. And he goes up to the class and he pours in five big rocks into the jar and asks the class, "Is the glass full?" To the class replies, "Of course it is." Then he takes a bag of pebbles and pour that into the jar and asks, "Is the jar full now?" And, and of course, the resounding answer was yes. And finally, they take another a professor takes a bag of sand and then still proceeds to pour it into the jar and ask, is it full now? And of course, everybody laughed and said, of course it is. And the story really tells us that if we had did this the other way around, where we pour the sand in first, then the pebbles, there will be no room for the rocks because mm -hmm. the jar would have been filled up. Mm -hmm. But if you did it in the right way, where you put the important things first, which is the big rocks, then there is now room for you to fill it with the, the next things, like the pebbles, the next tier of things that are important to you. Mm. And finally, if you sweat about the small stuff like the sand, you'll never be able to do any of the other two things. Mm -hmm. So this is the story of prioritizing your important goals first. It's so easy for us to say, well, I don't want to cook tonight because I'm a little tired and I'll just take, do some takeout. Well, what if I told you, if you had, you're spending all your money on these little things, what you're taking away is this wonderful experience you're going to have with your kids on this amazing vacation and adventure that you guys will have. Mm -hmm. What is more important to you, Hayden? You get to pick. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. The butter chicken. Let's get it. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Listen, let's bring it back to sort of business owners and entrepreneurs that are looking to get started in their, um, in their entrepreneurial venture. So they've got a business idea. And they're looking to set up an entity. Now, there are a couple of avenues that they can go down. And, you know, there's so much information online. And there are there's a lot of resources that they can utilize as well, whether they go to Small Business BC, for example. But, you know, there are a lot of options. So whether they set up a sole proprietorship or a corporation or even a unit trust, like there are so many ways to slice and dice this. So where do you start with a conversation when somebody walks through the door and starts asking these questions? Yeah, that's a, a fantastic initial question. A lot of clients do... Uh, have that wonder in their head as well. Uh, if they're running their business for a few years as a sole proprietor, they don't know when to take the bullet and pull the trigger and switch to a corporation. Uh, or if they're just trying to start out there, they're trying to research what's better. Mm -hmm. um, so there's really primarily a couple of things uh, that you will find on the internet. Or when you speak to an accountant, a lot of times they will tell you, you should start a corporation when you mix make X amount of dollars. So right. if you get to make X amount of dollars, then you should think about starting a corporation. Well, we believe it's actually not what you make, but what you can keep. Hmm. So what I mean by this is as a sole proprietor, whatever we earn, we have to declare as our income throughout the January to December months, our, our, our calendar year. Financial, yeah. Yeah, our calendar, physical calendar years from January to December, mm -hmm. that whatever we pull in through our business, mm -hmm. minus whatever we can write off our expenses, we can uh, hide away in our business, um, then that needs to be claimed as income taxes to our personal name. Right. With a corporation, the biggest difference is you, if you're not needing the money. So let's say you made $100,000 in your business and you wrote off $40,000 and now you have $60,000 to spend to enjoy your life. Mm -hmm. Well, of that $60,000, you end up putting $50,000 away in a tax-free savings account or a checking account. Yeah. Well, then you really claim income tax on that $50,000 too soon. If you had left that $50,000 in a corporation, it would be taxed at 11% and not at 40% like you would have. Mm. So you're saving a 30% spread on not touching the money out of your corporation. Mm. So this is where it comes down to how much are you spending on your personal life Mm. that you require for your lifestyle. Right. I call it lifestyle because everybody has a different one. You and I could make the same amount of money, but we'll spend it very differently. Yeah. So our lifestyle, whatever that costs us, if it's a lot of our money, then there's no reason for you to incorporate because there's very little savings left. 
But if your goal is to have spend a little bit less money so that you have more money to build your business and and keep more of your money for your future, then you should incorporate as soon as possible mm. because you're taking advantage of the corporate tax structure when you do this. Mm. So from a logical perspective, it's not about how much you make; it's how much you end up you can keep in the corporation. Right. Someone who makes a million and spends nine hundred thousand should not incorporate. Yeah, because they're still not keeping enough money. Right, and they're still paying a lot of taxes. Okay, so there's two factors here. Are we clear on how we're spending our money? Is it in the most useful and meaningful way for us? Yeah, we call that the cash flow plan. And number two, are we keeping the money for the important things in our lives so that we're building to that ideal life that we're hoping for? When you can answer those two things, then that's when you can say whether or not you should be incorporating or not.、Hmm. That's one approach. The other way to look at this is、um, the liability approach. When you start a corporation, there's a lot of liability def,、um, benefits that come out of it. So if you get as a corporation, as a company, you get sued, your business gets sued, you are now sued against the corporation, not your personal assets.、Mm -hmm. So that's another layer of why I believe most people who are in business, who have sizable income, should really consider doing incorporation over self-employment,、uh, self-proprietorship. So if you if you just started and you you made like five thousand dollars in a idea. Uh, then I wouldn't suggest you doing that day one. But let's say you continue with that idea, and now you've got a real product with a real business running.、Mm -hmm. Then you should look into incorporating as soon as possible, so、right. that you you have some liability protection, and also you're taking advantage of the tax code as soon as possible.、Mm. Would you suggest that the way that you structure the entity as well is also based on how you're going to be either bringing on funding, or the I guess at the end of the day how you plan on selling the business as well? Yeah, that that has a second layer to it. So、uh, there's something called holding corporations and operating co corporations. So if you plan to sell. There's probably another layer of corporate planning that you have to do, where you you start another business. So now you have two: a holding company that holds the operating company, and the operating company, which is your the the company you're you're making an income and do selling your product and doing your things from. Right. So when you sell your operating company,、uh, that money comes back to you through holding company or to you, depending on how you structure the ownership. So there's benefits to doing holding company, and there's benefits in holding the shares of your operating company personally. So、right. that one really depends on what the long-term vision is、mm -hmm. and what the client、uh, is hoping to achieve at the end of the day. But、mm -hmm. if there is a plan to exit and there's a plan to bring on some shareholders,、uh, it is important to look at that holding corporation as soon as possible as well before you bring on investors. Before you, because、uh, or else you're gonna have to now get the investor to sign off on the、uh, whole re reorganization of your corporation. Right. So it's it's important to do some legwork to to if you have those things in mind,、yeah. that that is something that you should discuss with either your lawyer, your accountant, or your financial planner as soon as possible to better position the shares of your company so that you can take on investors or that you have preparation for exits.、Mm. Uh, those are those are important thing conversations to have. I've always wondered. So, I mean, there are so many people that can be involved in this kind of conversation, like you suggested, whether it's a financial planner, an accountant,、uh, or a bookkeeper, or even a lawyer. <clears throat> Now, it's beneficial to get everybody in the room at once to have this kind of conversation, so that everybody's on the same page and understands your vision and what it is that you're trying to achieve. Otherwise, you could be fed different, you know, strategies or bits of information, and it could. I can imagine it would become quite confusing. Yeah, I think everybody has a role to play. Um, everybody has a different hat that they they put on to、mm. to see the same problem.、Mm. So it's important to have those different you know perspectives.、Yeah. Uh, but at the end of the day,、um, I think where of all three of those major areas, which is accounting, financial planning, and legal, I think、um, the most important one, and I'm biased, is、mm. the financial planning perspective.、Mm. And the reason why is accountants are trained very reactively. They're they're trained to look at your past year.、Mm. So you spent all your money, you did all your things, and after 12 months, you go to an accountant and you give them your books and say, "This is where all my money went." And then they find ways to help you mitigate the taxes.、Right. It's not very proactive in the future planning side.、Mm -hmm. Legally speaking, the legal team is really just to—it's a risk mitigation. They want to make sure you're on side with law, tax law, and business law, so that 
uh, you're avoiding big mistakes. So that's a different way of looking at it. So they are very much a risk mitigation, risk planning type of role, yeah. whereas financial planner are trained to look forward. We are by nature, a forward thinker. We mm-hmm. always think about the future and what the next five and 10 years would play out to. So some of our planning may sometimes disagree with what our the accounting team would say, but if you add up the long run, the five years and the 10 years perspective, then it all adds up. So a lot of times it just takes a, a, an extra piece of step for accountants to get on board. But mm-hmm. most of the time we will have the same vision at the end, the same conclusion at the end, yeah. where we try to do the best by our clients and having that future mindset and just kind of rewiring the way we think about money. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes we might have to declare a little bit more income today mm-hmm. for a better future tomorrow. So yeah. That's, yeah. that's just some of the thoughts that we have to think about or train to think about as a financial planner. So if you're trying to build a future, work with a planner. Yeah. <laughs> if you're trying to solve, save some taxes, work with an accountant. Yeah. If you're just trying to protect yourself and not get into legal troubles, get a lawyer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in the perfect world, you'd have all three working together. Yeah. Um, now, one thing that I can imagine would scare off some people in the early stages of, you know, incorporating or trying to figure out what their business is looking like on paper, you know, the mechanics of the business model and so on. I can imagine that, you know, they're probably got limited funding. They're trying to figure out the best way to spend all of their money, you know, to get operational, to get the best quality product into the hands of their consumer, put a beautiful brand out into the world so that it resonates with their consumer. You know, if they've got a certain marketing spend, you know, they're really trying to figure out the best way through this. And obviously some really critical points that you've got to pack heavy on are the factors that we were just discussing with legal, financial and um, financial future planning and also accounting. Now, what kind of dollars and cents are we looking at here for somebody to spend on this kind of um, venture? And do you see it as a valuable exercise? Because there is so much information out there online and I know that it can get, you know, it can kind of get a bit overwhelming. So speaking to a professional would be really, really valuable. But if somebody's a little bit hesitant because of the, you know, the spend involved, what would you have to say to them? I would encourage them to uh, think big and just uh, in the business or in the entrepreneurial mindset, we have a saying here, uh, write checks in faith. And what that means is uh, sometimes you just have to invest in the future. So to know that that is the better future. If we are limited in our mindset and always just think about what we have right now, then we are not living in that abundance mindset where we can grow the business. With entrepreneurship and the idea of building a business takes a lot of risk and a lot of guts already. So I 100% agree with you where, you know, people are scared about spending their money. But at the end of the day, we just need to know that these are investments that we're making Mm -hmm. for a better future with a much greater return. Because the alternative is that you try to do this yourself, DIY Mm -hmm. jobs and Mm -hmm. Sometimes you know how DIY jobs can get. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could be learning a big mistake with a big ticket item. So mm-hmm. you don't want to be in a caught in a situation where you're making a massive mistakes without the proper help and proper advice that you're given. Yeah. Little mistakes we can learn from. Little mistakes we can recover from. But big mistakes could be the detriment of our business. Mm-hmm. So you know when I look at setting up a corporation or not, I do believe that there's there's both debates on that. So if you don't want to jump in in that realm right away it's mm-hmm. fine mm-hmm. but i think it is important for you to have a relationship with a accountant with a financial planner and with a legal team whereby they can say look i think it's time for you to think about it now so they are helping you in just identifying the future with you so maybe you don't need to pull the trigger today but i highly recommend you start thinking about creating those relationships mm-hmm. so that when that day happens you've got a team ready to go so that is, is important in terms of building a business. I think you can never have too many friends in this industry uh, and somebody's going to give you some insight that you, you've never thought about. And yeah. so having more people uh, in the back of you, helping you and supporting you will help you pave that road a little bit smoother. Mm-hmm. So, you know, reach out, make some friends and then see what happens. Um, yeah, build a network. 100%. And I think... I don't need to speak that like most, most entrepreneurs and business owners realize that having a big network is always beneficial. Mm. Um, so make sure that some of those people are just in different areas of your business that you require help in. Mm-hmm. For, for sure. Now, 
I guess there are some great books out there, whether it's, you know, a Ray Dalio book or a Warren Buffett or even Tony Robbins money book. And, you know, I've flicked through quite a few of them and the messaging is quite consistent in that it's great to have a diversified portfolio. So your business, let's just sort of run a bit of a scenario where you're an entrepreneur, your business is starting to make some money, which is really exciting. You're probably, you know, five to six years into it and you're cutting yourself a really nice paycheck now. And you want to actually start to squirrel away some funds for the future. So somebody goes to and has a conversation with a financial advisor like yourself. But like I was suggesting, there are books like a Ray Dalio or Warren Buffett. Now, obviously, in those books, they're talking about a, like a fiduciary. So somebody who comes with an unbiased opinion and has a really low rate. And having a look on your website, on the Ocean 6 website, I found it really fantastic because I found that just like any great organization, it's more of a partnership that you're looking to build and really one that is in tune with the vision that the client that you're working with is working towards. So at the end of the day, can you speak to a kind of like, what is the difference between financial planning and financial selling? Sounds good. So I do come from the financial selling or financial product world uh, initially. So I've been in this industry for over 12 years now. Right. And most people, uh, most advisors like myself started in the realm of selling. And what yeah. I mean by that is we're either taught to sell investments or insurance. So if you're taught to sell investments, then you're uh, what we call money managers. You're, you're there to, to facilitate people's portfolios, sort of like what you were saying about diversification. Yeah. Uh, but my goal and my role as in that realm is to really get your money into portfolios that make me a commission or a fee. Mm -hmm. That's really the, the end goal here. Yeah. So when I work with clients in that space, in that mindset, as much as we say we are doing our best for our clients, ultimately when we give our time away for free, it's not truly free. We're mm. tying that to in hopes of you buying that product or services through right. us. So it's like a, a you go to the bank and you're buying um, you're buying a financial service from a bank. Is that correct? Uh, yes and yes and no because in, in the bank, you know, the the guy on the other side has a salary, so they're not mm. necessarily you know that pushy, so to speak, because yep. they have a base salary, but right. they have quotas to meet. Yeah, I've got friends in the. Um, I'm not going to name the bank, but yeah. <laughs> uh, I have friends in the in that realm before, and they were they, they just told me how how stressful it is to meet those quarterly qu uh, quotas. And mm -hmm. when you make one, the next year your quota just goes up. Mm -hmm. So now, in order for you to earn your bonus, you have to continue to increase your production mm -hmm. and push more investments or mm -hmm. loans or whatever their whatever their hot topic is that day that yep. week. Yep. They have to push more credit cards and accounts. This is why when you walk up to a bank account, make a deposit, a simple deposits, a lot of times they say, hey, you've got a lot of money in your bank account. Have you ever considered XYZ, TIC or TFSA? It's because they were at the back meeting. Somebody says this month we're focusing on this. So yep. look for opportunities to sell these things. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm not faulting them. I mean, it's a business at the end of the day. They need to make their means. So, but when when their compensation is derived from the products that sell, you obviously it's natural to be biased towards that. Mm -hmm. um, so that was the realm that I kind of lived in uh, for a while. I did insurance for quite some time. Uh, it's not until maybe about five years ago where I really started to have a different vision of the industry, but I didn't have the means or platform to do so until I met Jay here at Ocean 6 and yeah. also started to have more conversation with him before I made that transition over to here back in 2020, where we are now a fee for service planner. So what that means is, you, well, our compensation and our paycheck came from the client. So now our fiduciary duty is now directly tied to our compensation through the client. So obviously we are paid to work for you, yeah. not for the products. Got you. So now we're product agnostic. I believe you do need products. I'm not saying like these are terrible tools. Yes. They're just tools though. So it's it's a little, the analogy I give is if you have a piece of land, you want to build a house, you can't just walk up to Home Depot, buy a bunch of tools and think you have a plan to build a, build a house. Yeah. You need to start off with a blueprint. You need to have an architecture to come in and design your house before you can even get started, yeah. assuming you even have the skills to do it. Yeah. So solving financial problems, solving your financial future is, all, and, and you go to a bank or a, a different advisor where they just sell you a bunch of product. It's a lot like going to Home Depot and buying a bunch of saw tools and thinking you have now the ability to buy, build your house. You yes. just won't. 
you don't even have a plan to start with on how your, what your house looks like. Mm. <laughs> so yeah. you, let, let's take a step back and build a plan. That's mm. what financial planning fee for advice really is. Mm -hmm. That blueprint initial step to architect and build visually, uh, conceptually your ideas out loud on paper mm. and then find the right tools to build that house. Got you. That's it, a different approach. It's interesting, isn't it? So once you've sort of got the ball rolling and you've figured out what kind of funds you've actually got right now to work with, with a client and what their vision is and where they want to get to, are you then going out to market to try and figure out then what kind of um, tools you are going to implement? Or do you sort of suggest looking at index funds, you know, like the Vanguard S&P 500 index fund, which is, you know, got really low, um, low costs associated with it, but the returns year over year sort of tend to either beat the market in general or a lot of these hedge funds that people are paying thousands of dollars for, you know? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. And there's actually two parts to this answer. So the first part is what we do as planners is uh, not about the money management. So rather than going straight into saying, oh, I think you need XYZ funds, right. we, we first build a plan like, okay, where should you be putting your money? Is it RSPs? Is it TFSAs? Is it corporate accounts? Is it uh, insurance? Like what tools, overarching tools, would you need from a tax savings perspective what are the benefits for RSPs, RESPs, TFSAs, corporate accounts? Let's talk about all of those things and structurally build you a plan where you know how much money needs to go in these accounts first. Mm. Once we decide that, then we go back to the next step and say, what is your risk adjusted returns? What is the risk appropriate returns for you? So what that means is, well, now we need to know, we, we need to know what tools we need to use. Yep. We now know where we're trying to go. Well, how do you how do you turn your TFSA into your retirement plan? Well, you need to make six percent, four percent, whatever it is, because mm -hmm. everybody's retirement goals are different. Yeah. Now we know that number. Now we know what risk to take to get to four percent in the most taxi uh, risk efficient way. Mm -hmm. If you just walk up to a money manager and it's like, I have some TFSA invested for me, they're gonna tell you, hey, this fund makes twenty percent next month. This one makes forty percent. So what? You didn't need to take that much risk to get to your goal in the first place. So yeah. why would you? just chase returns mm -hmm. you should never chase just returns because you're going to get hurt doing it mm. all right so just looking at the rate of returns of a, of a product doesn't solve your problem right the problem is how do you need to what where where are you trying to go let's figure out from a tax perspective what's the best way to get there first and then let's talk about how to build your portfolio to actually achieve it so you've got the strategic ideas first then you take the implementation, which is, okay, now what type of portfolio should I have? Mm -hmm. And that's when you start to work with an uh, investment manager or money manager to mm -hmm. really build out your portfolio. When you work with a financial planner, you're getting ideas and strategies to tell the, plan, to tell the money manager what type of portfolio I'm trying to build. Right. That way you're not oversold on an idea. Mm -hmm. right? And, and we always have personal biases. We, some people believe in Bitcoin, some people don't. Those personal preferences are always going to be built into your portfolio, which is amazing. It's great. You should invest them, your money the way you want to invest your money. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Like if you believe in something, go for it. That's yeah. my that's my take on that. However, you just want to do it in a safe environment, right? So you don't lose your shirt over it. Don't yeah. put all your money in one basket. Mm. You want to diversify. Yeah. Now the second piece, of what you're kind of talking about, is basically a product perspective mutual funds, ETFs, hedge funds, all this stuff. What is the best tool for me? Well, that really comes down to whether or not you even need an advisor. So mm -hmm. if, do you need a, someone to help you build your portfolio? If you do, you got to pay for it. That's yeah. what the fees for those management are for. If you think you can do it yourself and you, you can do a better job than these, uh, these advisors, great. Then build your own portfolio. You'll have a much lesser fee because you're basically the advisor for yourself. So yeah. you shouldn't have to pay for your own time. Yeah. So you just do it. Do you understand the difference there? So yeah, yeah, absolutely. So this is why, you know, mutual funds have higher fees because you're not just paying uh, for the return. You're also paying for the time of the advisors to help you strategic allocate your portfolio mm. in a, in a more effective way for you. So you're really good at your job. You do nine to five at your job. Let the money managers do their job, which is their nine to five to look at the markets where mm -hmm. you're never going to have the same amount of time uh, to look at the markets than these trained professionals would. Mm. So my recommendation typically is if you want to manage a little bit of your money, go for it. You should do some, 
-hmm. you, but you shouldn't try and manage all your money unless you have that time and dedication to look at your portfolio every single day. Yeah. So always have someone on your back end to help you uh, sort of manage the core of it. And then if you want 10 or 15% for you to play with, go, go nuts, go buy mm -hmm. whatever you want. Mm -hmm. uh, knowing that uh, I just work with a retired client. I basically looked at them and said, look, there's about $200,000 that you can lose at all. And it wouldn't affect your entire retirement life. Yeah. So take that 200,000 and do whatever you want with it. It go doesn't matter. Yeah. Go have fun, go nuts. Yeah. But these, these other funds that, that you have saved and like worked really hard for, you don't want to make a bad call and lose it all. And now yeah. you don't even have retirement. So let met the professionals deal with that part. Mm. Does that so yeah, <laughs> and absolutely does. You know, one question that I've always had, like there's a lot of fear that people have with the stock market, you know, in that, you know, there's a lot of talk right now that it's over leveraged and that the pricing is overvalued or undervalued and it can swing very quickly, whether it's based on, you know, a tweet by Elon or, you know, the market can shift and, and, you know, obviously we've learned from the global financial crises that have occurred over the years. And even when COVID first hit, the market tanked really quickly and a lot of people lost a lot of money. You know, you're talking about having a diversified fund and you look at some people like Rob Kiyosaki and he's a huge advocate for squirreling away um, dollars and cents into gold and silver and that silver is extremely undervalued right now. What's your opinion on all of that? Great. Uh, those are very like trendy type uh, questions and yeah. um, what here's here's my overarching take on it. You do need to diversify. So if yeah. you're too much in one thing, is never good. So yeah. if you're everything is in tech, not a good idea. Yeah. Everything in Bitcoin, not a good idea. If you have a little bit of everything, that's not a bad idea. But you could be over diversified by having too many little things and not and seeing any grows. returns. Over yeah, anything. exactly. Yeah, Got yeah, you. yeah. So I, I do think um, you know everybody hasn't. There's there's no one arching idea that's always going to beat the market. And yeah. if, if there's ever an article that says, you just have to do this one thing and you'll be rich, uh, I, I definitely be take it with a grain. Yeah, <laughs> just just take it with a grain of salt. Like, yeah. you know, you, you, you got to look at it and say, okay, does this make sense for me? That, again, that risk tolerance um, and that risk adjusted return. Yeah. Not everybody's appetite for risk is the same, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Those who can see high fluctuations are more aggressive and they can do these single track minded ideas mm -hmm. but those most of us i find number one they're passionate about their business mm -hmm. not of the stock market mm -hmm. so why are we spending so much time looking at your portfolio when we should be spending more time building and growing your business instead the biggest asset you probably have and it's the biggest return yeah here yeah. at ocean six because we're not uh, money managers only where we we collect a fee for managing your money yeah. we have no incentive for you to just invest all your dollars with us we mm -hmm. want you to invest your dollars in the most efficient and most worthy impactful way for you mm -hmm. and for a lot of our business owners that's putting money back in their businesses because when businesses can grow 25 percent and the stock market makes four is no brainer that you should be investing more in your business mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right so yeah. it's it's when you look at the overarching wealth of, of your portfolio you got to diversify so that you're not all everything is in your business and you've got nothing else to, to rely on because yeah. what happens if your business doesn't do well right yeah that's why you still need some investments mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. but at the end of the day if you're talking about the best asset class it's asset classes that you have the most passionate about which mm -hmm. is either your business mm -hmm. or a, a category that you're just truly passionate about like real estate for example in vancouver is a very yeah. hot topic yeah uh I always challenge, are you buying real estate because everybody else is, mm. or are you truly interested in real estate? Mm. If you're truly interested in real estate, you should buy some, mm. you should buy more. Mm. But if you're just, you're just going with the trend of everybody else, because everybody else has some, and you yeah. feel like you're, you're failing if you don't have one, yeah. then I would argue that maybe you shouldn't get into real estate because you don't know what you're getting into. Yeah. 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 Just like stocks, just like Bitcoins, just like everything else. Mm. If you're, if you've got no knowledge in it, don't just go blindly into it. You're going to hurt yourself. Yeah. And that's like anything, like you should have a certain element of, um, you know, self-education around what is exactly that you're doing so that you can ask your financial advisor the right questions. And so that you understand, you know, where you are and where you're going and so on as well. And, you know, I guess we started the conversation chatting about you when you're a young, um, young man starting your first job and that first paycheck you got. I'd like to sort of circle back now because you're a father now and you've got two, is it two sons that you've got? Yeah. 
two, two sons. So what are the lessons that you're teaching them now around financial literacy? Because we're obviously not getting it in schools. So <laughs> where are you, where are you sort of, what's the path that you're leading them look like at the moment? Uh, I, they're really relatively young at this stage. They're, there's only seven and four. So they're yep. not quite ready for uh, a lot of money management yet. But yep. what we are trying to teach them is, uh, I'm trying to teach them the lessons of hard work, right? Yeah. So um, I believe in the household, chores are necessary. It is the, the sort of general consensus. If you live in this house, you got to pitch in and you got to yep. do some yep. chores. Yep. Now, if you go above and beyond your regular chores, that's where you can earn some money. Hmm. That's where you are pitching extra effort and you yeah. can earn some money. Yeah. So it's not something's monetary at this yeah. time. Like yeah. uh, if my kid wants something, I'll be like, no problem. Do your chores. And then on top of that, if you help mommy with these extra dishes or putting these things away, yeah. then you can earn your toy. Yeah. So yeah. for us is at the home, you have to earn your money. You yeah. got to earn your, your, the toy that you want or the, um, I even encourage them not just to think about toys. I, I talked about um, like going somewhere. So yeah. if they wanted uh, to go to the pool, for example, yeah. then I'm like, no problem. We'll take you to the pool, but you got to earn it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Nothing comes free. That's yeah. sort of the idea. Um, and you got to work for something. So that's, that's the first type of lessons that I want to teach my kids, which is the idea of hard work, earn your honest paycheck, and you will be able to have the lifestyle that you want. If you want yeah. something, work for it. Yeah. That's sort of the mindset I'm trying to give them. But when yeah. it, when they are ready for some allowance and some money management, uh, I basically would, would be the same thing. Look, you can have a wish list. You, you can you can take all your money and all your allowance and buy your toys instantaneously and mm -hmm. have instant gratification. Mm -hmm. Or you can make a list of the things you really want mm -hmm. and decide how you want to spend your money. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to be... I, I don't want to hold their hand and like force them in one way or another. I want them to learn. Mm -hmm. If they if they want to spend their money instantaneously, great. Learn mm -hmm. the lessons that you spent your money and now you can't get whatever you truly desire next. They're probably more important lessons, you know. Um, it's interesting. Like when I reflect back on my childhood, I was really lucky. Like I suggested, like I started working from the age of 12. So I had the opportunity to start um, putting some money into my top desk drawer. And it was really cool to watch it accumulate over time and have the choice to spend it on whatever I wanted. So whether it was a stereo and, you know, my parents gave me the freedom to make mistakes in that respect as well. But then I was also really lucky in that I had my grandfather, actually mm -hmm. both of my, both sets of grandparents have been extremely generous to me growing up, but my grandfather on my mother's side, my pop uh, was a, over, you know, over the course of his life, an extremely successful businessman and, um, and also investor as well. And he invested heavily in the stock market and also in property back home in Australia as well. Um, but he bought me my first shares when I was the age of 15. And I remember him gifting them to me and sort of explaining it to me. And he also helped me set up my very first spreadsheet and budget to which I still use today. So I've oh. iterated on it and uh, I've got, you know, tabs for each year and I can go all the way back, which is really cool to sort of see how it's changed over the years and watch all of the different and various, um, you know, changes in income and expenses going out the door and what I used to spend my money on and what I spend my money on now but yeah honestly like i couldn't live my life or my my wife and i couldn't live the life that we're living right now without um the microscopic nature of having a budget so you know i can imagine that there'd be a lot of people out there without a budget and is that actually one of the first places that you start as well like do you have a budget do you manage your money like do you even start at that level yeah, good question. So I, I remember, you know, to your point, the same similar story, which is when I first made my paycheck and I paid off the debt from my dad, yeah. I recognized, well, if I continue working like this, I get X amount of dollars. And now there's this expectation, hey, if I make these kind of money, mm. what are the things that I can actually do with them? So mm -hmm. at the time, I really want to buy a car. So yeah. obviously, I'm saving up for my own car and, and doing all these things. So you know, it's, there's, there's a lot of lessons to learn when you, when you have to put in the hard work and you have a goal, you set out a goal to do something and you're chipping away at that goal. Mm. That is an invaluable lesson as, as a person, because mm. that's what you're going to have to live with the rest of your life, mm. right? No matter starting a business, reading a book, doing different things, you, you always set out a goal for yourself and you got to chip away at it. And that was the biggest lesson I learned uh, throughout my uh, young days of, of working and saving up every dollar. Mm. Um, now, going back to your second question about budgeting, uh, mm. I, I first of all, uh, I always said budgeting is like an icky word. Nobody likes it. Mm. <laughs> it's like, hey, I got to set a budget. Um, 
and because budget sounds by nature very restrictive and for business owners and entrepreneurs uh, if they've been successful for a few years money is not a concern so mm. obviously they're not going to live on the strict budget mm. so budgets don't work for entrepreneurs that's just what i found mm -hmm. but rather a cash flow plan works mm -hmm. and what a cash flow plan and how that differs than budget is basically that flexibility and that restrictive nature mm -hmm. budget is sort of what you described, like I have $5 to spend on coffee today. And if I spent 505, I'm in trouble. Well, no, yeah. you're not, you're not, you're really not. So, so, you know, having a, the strict discipline of every dollar yeah. is sounds great in nature mm. uh, by on paper, but it doesn't work in nature. Like mm. it's just, it just doesn't work. Nobody wants to follow a budget. It's not encouraging. Yeah. However, cash flow plan is encouraging because we revert back to saying, what is the important goals? And when we go offside on our cash flow plan, you, what do you stand to lose? Mm -hmm. So when you, if you put yourself in the mindset of, I've got these five things I'm trying to do, which is, I don't know, trip to Disneyland this year, yeah. uh, or maybe next year when things yeah. reopen, <laughs> uh, a new boat or, or uh, a boating vacation and uh, some, you know, uh, renovation in the home. Okay. If those three things are important for you and you go off your budget plan and you're just spending foolishly without, without tracking, mm. then what you end up doing is a year from now, you don't have these three things. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. A cash flow plan just says, uh, we, we call them weekly spendables. So we, instead of saying you have a budget for everything, we say you've got a weekly spendable amount. So regardless of 400, 500, $600, whatever it may be, we don't care. Uh, and we don't care what you spend it on, but just track that you're spending X amount of dollars per week on these non-essential items, mm -hmm. emotional items, yeah. such as going out to eat. Grocery is actually one of them. A lot of people think grocery should be a budgeted thing. It's not because if, if you think about it, if I'm hungry and I go into a supermarket, I want to buy everything, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? This week, what I'm eating is not going to be the same as next week when I'm eating. Yeah. This week, I want to treat myself to a steak dinner. Next week, I'm going to eat chicken. Well, those are very emotional driven mm. purchases. Mm -hmm. So rather than having a strict budget on $400 of grocery this month, just say I have $400 this week to spend on eating out groceries, coffees, magazines, yeah. hobbies. Yeah. And you get to decide this week what you want to focus that $400 on. Got you. Right? It's interesting. That's a, it's a lot more flexible when you do that. Yeah, it's interesting that you're changing the language that you're using with your clients as well, because you know psychology is so important in every facet of life, and the psychology of the language that you're using and how you interpret that really does sort of determine your spending patterns. Um, you know, one thing that I've found really useful is when your paycheck comes in, I've got different bank accounts, which I call buckets. And then I siphon off a percentage of my paycheck into each bucket. And, you know, whether it's a bills account or a savings account or um, whatever it is, you know, at least I know every, every um, biweekly when the paycheck comes in, how it's going to be distributed. And that's really essentially what my budget is. It's just, it breaks it down in that respect. And I've found yeah. that really useful as well. Yeah. Um, Jackie, we've covered so much ground in this podcast and I'm really looking forward to going back through it when I edit it and pick out the gold and nuggets. But at the end of the day, um, before we part ways, is there any message that you'd like to get out there to the audience? Yeah, I definitely do. I think uh, for a lot of our listeners uh, or your listeners right now, um, a lot of people start their financial journeys at the banks or at a free financial advisor, someone who doesn't, you don't need to pay for it, but they'll give you some advice for free. Hmm. Uh, I always caution uh, the, the quality of that advice when you do receive it. So I'm not to say those are like horrible people and they, these are people who are out yeah. there to, to screw you over or anything like that. Uh, but at the end of the day, they are compensated through their products and through their specific channels. Mm -hmm. So just get clear on how your advisors are getting paid and ask yourself, what type of advisor do you want to look for? Mm -hmm. There are different people in different stages. So sometimes it's best to start in that realm and work your way through. And when you're ready, hire a financial planner who has that fiduciary duty to you and that you've paid for their time. Mm -hmm. I encourage you to change the landscape of your finances by looking at your money in a different way, not just putting money in TFSAs and RSPs every single month and thinking, that's fine, that's my plan. That's not, you've got a lot of tools, great. Uh, let's, let's figure out what you want to do with these things what kind of lifestyle you actually want to build up to. Mm -hmm. Um, and these, 
traditional thinking of having 70% of your income as a retirement, that's the goal. That doesn't make sense to us because mm -hmm. entrepreneurs are very driven, are very growth minded. So if you're making $100,000 now while you're working, there's no way that you're going to at 65 only spend 70. Yeah. That, that's just an archaic thinking because mm -hmm. you're a growth dri driven person. So you probably end up spending more. Mm. Uh, and financial freedom is ultimately what people are looking for, not retirement, which yeah. is no entrepreneurs wants to just clock out one day and be like, I'm out, peace out, <laughs> and never work another day of their lives. Most entrepreneurs and business owner wants to just have the freedom to choose what they live and what, mm. what they want to do with their time. Mm. And so the sooner we get there, the better it is for your life. So work with a financial planner, figure out how you can take first steps forward in building your ideal life today and not wait until you're age 65. That's Nobody awesome. That. That's great advice. Thank you very much, Jackie. Um, hey, listen, uh, what's the best way for everybody to get in touch? And you should definitely plug the podcast that you're a part of as well. Yeah, perfect. Uh, thanks again for, for this uh, time today. I really appreciate sharing these conversation with you. Uh, if you are, if anybody's listening and is interested in uh, just getting to know us and, and what we do, I encourage you to check our website, ocean6.ca. There's a blog, there's lots of FAQs, there's a ton of videos for you to watch. Uh, so start there. Uh, but if you want to get connected with me specifically, my name is Jackie at ocean6.ca, J-A-C-K-Y at ocean6, the number six, .ca. That's the best way to reach me at. And if uh, if you want to listen to my podcast, which is called The New World of Wealth by Ocean6, uh, it's on all the major podcast platforms. So whatever you choose to use, just look up A New World of Wealth and you'll get to hear more of my client stories, tips, and solutions to start building your financial plan. Awesome, mate. Thank you very much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Hey, I appreciate it. Your time too. Thanks. Right. Thanks again so much. You're welcome. Bye. Thanks for listening today. If you have any questions from today's episode or would like to know more about what I can do to help you achieve your packaging vision, you can reach me directly at Hayden at thepackheavypodcast.com. You could DM me on Instagram at thepackheavypodcast or we could also connect on LinkedIn and start a conversation there. I'll see you next week.